Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 14th of February, 2024, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host today, Brian Gerrish, and I'm delighted to have with me, well, a pretty different team. We've got Debbie Evans, we have Sandy Wicks, and we're delighted to have Katie Jo Murphy back with us after quite some time, but she's been a very busy girl indeed. Um, so essentially, three gutsy women to join me for today's news. And we're going to kick off with uh, Debbie, who will be telling us about global governance. And what I'd like to say to the audience is, if there's anybody out there that thinks that UK is still run by an elected government, uh, they're sadly mistaken because the government is simply the puppet of the world agenda. And uh, it's, that glo it's those global policies which are doing the damage today. In my opinion, we're being attacked by our own government. Debbie, welcome. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Uh, yes, and it would seem that our global governance are putting their foot down probably because they don't trust us and probably because they know that they're in trouble. So let's look back to last year when Antonio uh, Guterres, he actually announced that they were going to accelerate the sustainable development goals through the 2024 Summit of the Future. So what's this, you ask yourself? Well, this is a pact for the future that's being designed, a booster shot for the SDGs, if you like. So this is where everything's going to accelerate. And I just want to remind people of the United Nations Common, here we go again with the name Common Agenda, uh, where it's said that we are at an inflection point where we face a stark and urgent choice. And basically it's humanity breakthrough or humanity breakdown. Um, and if we see an overview of um, the common agenda, now I'm sorry, this is a there's a lot of information on that screen, so I would urge everyone to go and have a look at the document. So I've just highlighted a few of them on the next slide that may be of, of interest to you. So let's have a look at that. And you can see the first one says, be prepared. And there's your emergency platform, which pretty much covers all bases. So for any emergency, they can just order countries to act in lockstep. And in orange there, the global vaccination plan as well. I mean, that that's pretty much says it all for me. And the universal health coverage, of course, is the One World Health. And then they're going to upgrade the United Nations. And they're going to, of course, try to build trust. But just notice down there too, it also says international tax system. So um, what that's going to be about, I'm not quite sure, but let's have a look at the summit of the future. And this is going to be a big event. It's going to take place uh, but on the 22nd and the 23rd of uh, September 2024, multilateral solutions for a better tomorrow. Um, but what actually is it all about? Why does this summit matter so much? And it really is important that, and I think we'll be coming back to this many times. So it's going to be an event that's going to bring world leaders together. It's basically they're saying that they're not on track, they're not meeting their goals uh, that they've already set for themselves. So you can see there that they're already starting to doubt their, their, their own plan. But as we're speaking, not only is this summit of future being planned, 
that as we're speaking, there's the World Government Summit 2024. Now, you can jump on YouTube anytime today and look at it live. It's taking place um, from the 12th to the 14th. It's happy Valentine's Day, everybody, by the way, the 14th of February in Dubai in the Arab Emirates. And who's speaking? So uh, the person that's actually launching it um, is H.E. Omar Al-Olama. He's the Minister of State for Artificial Intelligence. Now, that gives you a flavour of what this World Government Summit is all about, digital economy, remote work application. But who are some of the speakers? And uh, it doesn't take long before you can see that Tedros has appeared from the WHO because, of course, they want to upgrade the WHO. Sam Altman there, H.E. Ahmed Abdul uh, Gates, Secretary General of the League of Arab States. So let's look at some of the agenda that they've got going on as we're speaking, some of the topics they're talking about, and some of them may be interested uh, to Sandy Adams, who I know that we're going to speak to in a minute. So urban planning in future cities, and in a nutshell, how to prepare governments for an AI tsunami. Let's look at a little bit more. There's a few more um, topics just to give you a flavor. So what makes a city timeless? and connecting the brain to artificial intelligence. There's literally loads of topics and all of these are starting to appear now on YouTube. However, I suddenly found in the agenda, Lord Blair, and Lord Blair has been very busy uh, talking about transforming our nations and is tech a solu our solution? He's been talking to Eddie Rama, the Prime Minister of the Republic of Albania. Let's listen to what he had to say. And how do you find your, your own system with this? Because part of the, I mean, anyone who's ever been in government knows that the, the, the problem is that government systems, you know, can be somewhat resistant to change, let's say. And, you know, you've got the potential, for example, in healthcare, you can have something similar to an AI doctor sitting alongside the real doctor. In education, it's possible now. I mean, there are fantastic innovations happening where you can effectively personalize education for young people. You know, when you, because you, you'll want to introduce all of these changes into, into Albania, how, how difficult is it to get your system to move? I believe it's more difficult in Germany and Britain <laughs> because uh, these countries, the big countries, developed countries, have also very developed machines of bureaucracy that are made uh, in, the, in other times uh, and that are like uh, very big ships you have to start and turn. Ours is just a little boat and uh, jumping from that boat and taking, uh, the, taking the new technology as a possibility is just a bless. So practically we don't have this so, of course, we have resistance, but it's more the resistance of laziness sometimes in the bureaucracy. But otherwise, we can do all these things because we don't have to remove mountains that are well settled there, but we have simply to, 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 to run and to run and to run forward. So I don't see this as, uh, as one of the main challenges. 
So there you have it. Tony Blair, uh, Lord Blair, was speaking yesterday. So that's just hot off the press. And if you want to go and have a look at the whole interview, then please do. But uh, clearly you can see that there's a bit of resistance in the West. So it's not quite so easy to roll out. So what are the future? Six goals the World Government Summit has. And we'll just look at three of the the first three. Government acceleration. There you go, the the term acceleration again and transformation, artificial intelligence and the next frontiers, reimagining development and future economies. And then the final three are future societies and education, sustainability and the new global shifts, urbanization and global health priorities. And just something finally to tie this segment up, uh, one of the topics that was being talked about that I hadn't heard of about, heard about, and I'm sure Sandy will probably have something to say about this as well, is that the WEF are very keen on ISO benefit. So ISO benefit urbanism, the thinking behind the cities of the future. So what is ISO benefit? Well, to be honest, it's trees and walking. But maybe we can talk about that a little bit more in extra. Debbie, thank you very much for taking us through that. An excellent summary, but I think it absolutely reinforces that we have this team of globalists who are deciding what the uh, national policy will will be, what the policy will be in national sovereign states. And uh, it's very clear that it is not the democratically elected government that's working in the UK, but it's these other people, and we still have Tony Blair. I just want to add a little bit of good news to what you've uh, just taken us through, because you, you did say that they're talking about them. They're worried that they're not on track for the goals that they've set themselves. And I just wanted to come back to the Global Risks Report 2024. Now, I think Ben mentioned this a few editions of the news uh, a little while ago. We'll say that. Um, So here's the document, World Economic Forum, the Global Risks Report 2024, 19th edition. And uh, some of the headings there at a turning point, over the limit, etc. But uh, this is the bit that caught my eye as I went through this document. Uh, it was a paragraph headed defining the truth. And basically, it said that false information could not only be used as a source of societal disruption, but also of control by domestic actors in pursuit of political agendas. So the basis there for the reader is you're taken in that the bad people can be pushing out false information. And then it says, although misinformation and disinformation of long histories, the erosion of political checks and balances and growth in tools that spread and control information could amplify the efficacy of domestic disinformation. Global internet freedom is already in in, uh, decline, falls in press freedoms. So they start this paragraph as though there's been some amazing accident uh, whereby the freedom of of, uh, society, the freedom of the press is ebbing away. They're not too sure what it is. Uh, But if we come on to uh, the next paragraph um, in that particular block, it went on to say that indeed the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation may be leveraged to strengthen digital authority 
authoritarianism and the use of technology to control citizens. And then this key point, governments themselves will be increasingly in a position to determine what is true, potentially allowing political parties to monopolize the public discourse and suppress dissenting voices, including journalists and and opponents. And what I want to stress here is, of course, this is exactly uh, what they've been doing. And so on one hand, they talk from a detached position as if they've no idea what is actually controlling um, the uh, change in freedoms. And in the next statement, they're actually saying that governments themselves are in a position to actually determine what is true and control the narrative. Excellent. Well, we seem to have got communication restored with all our guests. So we're going to bring Sandy Adams on. Many apologies. I used her a former name earlier on in the news. So uh, we'll bring Sandy Adams on, who, who's going to take us through uh, a look at uh, what's happening with agricultural policy. And without stealing your thunder, Sandy, of course, the moment we get into agricultural policy, we don't appear to be looking at national policy within the UK. We seem to be automatically coming back to global policy. But welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. What have you got? Well, um, I've been looking really about uh, what's happening with with farmers because uh, I I speak to a lot of farmers in Somerset and they're all under pressure and a lot of them are are getting very, very confused as to why they're being told to diversify um, and not uh, farm, uh, but do other 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 businesses on their land. Um, and uh, I've just been looking and, and they're, they're losing their subsidies over the next three years. They're incrementally stopping subsidies. Uh, this is DEFRA. Um, so I've been looking at the Agricultural Productivity Working Group report, which um, came out quite a long time ago. And I did actually have it on my website for a while. But, you know, with these things, you think, oh, will that really ever happen? And it is happening now where they're, they're trying to get farmers to rely on electric and uh, electric vehicles and, and, and electrify the whole of the farming process. Um, and also to really introduce the whole agri-tech, you know, 5G, um, robotics and all that kind of stuff. So I've been looking at the Agricultural Productivity Working Group and, it, of course, it does talk about um, robotics and the new production methods. Um, data is, is, is big in all of this, the, the control of data. And, and when you look at the whole global issue that's going on at the moment, you realise that this is very WEF-led. This is not this is not a normal um, agricultural policy that we've ever had in this country. Um, and this is all being handed over again to global governance, and unfortunately, the whole of our food industry, our farming. And uh, I, farmers are, are a little bit uh, hesitant to wake up to this, and I'm hoping that they will wake up in the same way that they've woken up in, in Europe. Uh, and and really just have to say no to all of this because it will they're really they're trying to stop farming uh, yep. they're trying to turn it into something else yeah Sandy I'd, I'd just come in if I may I just want to bring that slide back on screen to actually read a couple of the sections which you kindly highlighted because I think uh, it's important for our viewers so we've got new product methods have developed with vertical horticulture and protein biomass production becoming more widely distributed. At the same time, many farmers have pursued energy generation and the production of public goods 
as business enterprises. It goes on to say that data is central to enabling these new systems and technology to operate seamlessly. Data flow from farms provides constant reassurance and immediate response to threats. Information flow to consumers and stakeholders now includes real-time data to assure animal welfare, environmental practice and production standards. Uh, this has opened and expanded many global markets. And it goes on to talk about a network of experimental and demonstration farms. So I just found this slightly ironic because um, the farming industry and our food production is in a mess. It's getting worse as farms are being destroyed. But all of the words on the paper are talking about this future utopia where automation is, is going to help the farming process. It's, it's all lies. They're really trying to corporatize farming and make it state run. Um, and really, the, the, the way it's, it's being run in a very efficient way, they want to get rid of the farmers, basically, the, the historic farmers. And let's face it, most of our farmers, the age group of most um, farmers is 65 to 85 years old. And I think this that they're trying to introduce this new super duper farms. Uh, where they where everything is robotic, um, they they have to go to university to learn how to do it, and it's all corporate and very very efficient, if you like, and 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 GMO. It's it's unhealthy. The whole thing is very unhealthy. It's not proper regenerative farming, which is what we need to go back to. Yeah. Um, we just had on screen very briefly there this um, diagram which you sent through, and I read it and I thought, my goodness, so. I picked out a couple of the key points that it was talking about, As, uh, aside from world-leading knowledge exchange and targeted training, it's also talking about automated animal monitoring, automated fees, feeding and grazing management. And when we see factory farming of animals, I've always thought it unbelievably cruel. Uh, but in this case, we can see that they're going to pump in more and more of this style of control of farms and the farm animals. Yeah, I mean, we have, we've had ag agri-tech, agri-farming um, being trialled in, in Somerset, and we've had uh, these poor cows with 5G collars on, which nudge them when they need to go to milking, and, and it's just horrible. The whole thing is, is really cruel to, to animals, uh, and, and the produce is not good for humans, yeah. Right. And we've got this one here, which is about industrial strategy pillars, people, uh, recommendation for drive the uptake of professional training and development. And uh, it's talking about formal education qualifications and undertaking recognized training on technical and business practice. Um, what, what would you say about where they're where, where are they taking farmers? Are we going to have farmers or are we going to have a different style of person? I think what the, what they really want is to is to really streamline farming and make it more corporate uh, and turn it into an industry that is is seamless and they want people to go to university or or some sort of agricultural college to learn how to do agritech so they know about robotics they know about it's going to be very very much uh, streamlined into the the tech into the technology um, so really the natural way of farming will cease to be um, I, I know we've got a long way to go because our farmers have been using you know 
products that aren't natural. And we've got to literally sort of go back, if you like, and do proper regenerative farming, because this is going to lead into this awful corporate uh, control of the food supply. And that's the worrying thing, is that, that that food supply will be what they want us to eat, not what is good for us. So it'll be GMO, it'll be vertical farming that will be done under LED lights. Um, you don't know what's what's how it's how it's grown, what what they're giving it to grow. And it's it's it looks as though it's it's not a it's not something that we really we really want to get involved in because it's it's not good for the humans and certainly they're going to phase out animals anyway. But when they do the stuff with the animals, they're they're not treating them well either at the moment. But that all will be phased out because that's the plan. So Sandy, would it be reasonable to say farmers go and we get some sort of highly educated manager, highly educated, but little experience or, or time working on the land. Uh, the managers, not farmers. Is that a fair comment? Managers, they're not, they're not going to be, um, they're not going to be working with the seasons and all the things that farmers used to do, work with the seasons, work with the, with the tides, whatever, uh, the moon phases, whatever, they, they, everything will be very different and it will be very efficient and not, not the way that farming should be. They won't be working the land properly. So yeah. they won't be working the land, and you've said, and somebody else is going to decide what we eat. And uh, you kindly sent this one through, which, uh, <laughs> well, I'm smiling as I say this, but of course they are pushing this. Insect biomass is a rapidly developing sector of global agriculture with the potential to help meet global protein requirement. The relatively slow rate of development of the insect biomass industry in the UK illustrates the importance of several of the actions under recommendation three. So, um, Sandy, once again, we've got they're worried because they're behind the curve, they're being slow, um, but basically um, it's taken as a given in this case study that we need uh, insect biomass. There's been no, no debate about whether we should be eating this stuff, but in this document it's taken as a given we need more and we've got to create more. Well, it, it, it's, um, it's silly, really, because they're, they're saying this all in the name of, of saving the planet. There's too much CO2 in animals. Apparently, livestock creates too much CO2. So you've got to get rid of them. And you've got to have everything electrified. And you're going to be keeping these crickets, this insect biomass, under lights, you know, in an in a, in a artificial environment. You know, and the processing of this food is going to cost so much more if you want to go down the CO2 route than any livestock on land would ever take up. So the whole thing is a nonsense. And it is really, it's all about control. And it's all about taking the, the, the goodness out of, out of food so that we, I do believe, they just want to keep us sick, basically, or starving. I'm not sure which. But or both. Yeah. <laughs> or both. And yeah, um, this one here, case study five, robotics and autonomous systems. Uh, but this is basically saying that people working in agriculture are going to be replaced by robotic systems. But what I found interesting is that it says here that uh, labour productivity in UK agriculture is low and the availability of staff to carry out unskilled repetitive tasks is likely to diminish substantially in the next few years. 
putting some enterprises at serious risk. So we're going to see people go out of business. But then it says the ONS labor market survey showed a drop over the last year of 132,000 EU nationals working in the UK to a total pool now of 2.25 million. Um, so it used to be the case that the the low-grade jobs in farming were a great benefit, particularly to young people who could get some work experience as they transitioned from school or while they were still at school into a full-time job. And there were a lot of people who did it part-time. This was all replaced with a lot of overseas labor, particularly from the European Union. We've seen this job market wiped out in Cornwall, for one example. Um, but now, even the people who've come in as migrant workers are going to lose their jobs because they can do it by robotics. Exactly. I mean, there was a time when, I mean, I remember as a student uh, in, in between in between school and, and university, I would go potato picking and strawberry picking. And it was something that students always did. Uh, that's gone away now. Uh, and it's, it's done by migrant workers. But as you say, they will be phased out soon. So yes. we'll, What's going to happen to all these migrants that were working on the farms? Yeah. Are uh, they going to um, be jobless and, and starving is what's <laughs> going to happen to them, uh, okay. Sandy. But you mentioned this earlier on. We just put it on screen so people could see uh, that the document did actually talk about it. But it's saying that electric vehicles will gradually replace diesel versions. And there's likely to be a growth in controlled environment farming and energy generation on farm is likely to become commonplace. So there's no messing around. They are going to push the electric vehicles. And of course, if the farms can become wind farms and maybe produce a bit of food on the side, that seems to be really what they what they want. Yeah, they're, 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 oh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. I was just I was just going to say. Uh, it's pretty obvious what's coming, but now we've got this. We've got the supermarkets that are actually um, getting in and selling us uh, where our food is going to come from. And I won't jump the gun, but I was astonished when you gave us this, and I I saw that basically uh, they were talking well into the future. So, what what is your take on Sainsbury's? Well, I, d I don't think it's just going to be Sainsbury's. I think some of the big big supermarkets are going to, they, they, they want to have a future of creating their own farms. And uh, if you look at this document, it's Frankenfoods again. You know, we're looking at this horrendous kind of factory kind of uh, controlled management system of farming, uh, which the supermarkets will do for massive profits. Cut out the farmer. Why not? You know, this is this is where this is what farmers have got to wake up to: the fact that there are that they're thinking of alternatives to proper farming that we've had for all these years because they they call it progress. It's not. It's going backwards, and it's going to it's going to uh, take away our autonomy, our autonomy of being able to access decent food, uh, and 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 food altogether, if you like, because at any point, this, the, you know, this, this system that they've got, if it's all electric, I mean, I've been looking at this very, very closely. Why do they want to push everything onto all electric? And um, I, might, I mean, that there's all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, things going on out there where, you know, cyber attacks, whatever, all of that could come crashing down. And what would happen to the human race? 
we have to look at this. We have to look at also, you know, the um, the weakening of the magnetic fields. A Carrington event could knock all this out. This is this is not beyond the realms of possibility. This is not this is not conspiracy stuff. This is what you know. If the if the electric grid went down with a CME with a solar mass ejection, everything would go. So is that the reason why they want to push everybody onto electric? Is there something that they know that we don't? You know, I've been looking at this as well. It's awful. Yeah. Punish me that um, um, the supermarket's so confident is going to be helping us with food uh, into the year 2169. Uh, several people in our comments have said these people are mad. And I have to say, I, I think they're very clever, but um, they seem to be mad. And can we just end on this one, which is the uh, is um, is how farmland is being taken up for other purposes. Um, so can you take us through this diagram or would you like a little bit of help? Uh, no, it's okay. It's, um, this is the uh, Somerset plan. Um, they, 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 so this, this is North Somerset. South Somerset haven't, uh, or Somerset County Council haven't done their plan yet because they've only just gone unitary. But this is the plan for land use. Um, and this is going across the whole agricultural land of North Somerset. And it's between, 20, between now and 2038. And as you can see from that map, all the land, all the pink areas uh, are solar farms. The yellow areas are wind farms. And the red areas are um, housing development. So there's no room for livestock in any of the, the plan at all. And you can't put livestock with wind and solar because they can't get the insurance for it because the animals nibble the, the cables. So it's a phasing out, really, of, of dairy and, uh, and, and for dairy, um, uh, beef and, and lamb uh, across the whole board. So this is this is where it's really getting down to the nitty gritty as they want to phase out all meat production and dairy. Okay. Sandy, thank you very much for taking us through this. Obviously, the farmers are starting to do the right thing and they are standing up to be counting, but counted. But the policy that's coming through, very obvious to see, and certainly for me, doesn't appear to have our best interests at heart. Well, what can we say? Big thank you to everybody who's supporting UK Column. And uh, if you like what we do, please join us, become a member, make a donation, join the community, get involved. You can also buy something from the UK Column shop. And uh, we also ask you to share our information with an acknowledgement to UK Column, please, uh, in order to get the information and data out. Now, Debbie, your blog is, is uh, up. Would you like a few seconds on that? I think it's in that? the pipeline. Oh, it's in yeah, the pipeline. Yeah, it's probably still in the pipeline, but it will be up very shortly. Um, and I have had so many emails this week about the letter signed by many parliamentarians with regards to the MHRA from the all-parliamentary group. So I'm deep diving on that. And also thank you to Constellation on our community website um, for her tips. So we've got some tips from our viewers and talking about ASDA. Um, is your ASDA going to be the one that goes cashless? 82 will be going cashless very soon. Okay, thank you very much for that. Now, we just uh, pop up that uh, Mike Robinson's done a very interesting interview, uh, which is about demanding a new inquest into a 9-11 death, and he's speaking to Matt Campbell and Ted Walter. So get onto the UK Column website and have a look at that. And I believe this team are also uh, trying to raise money 
um, to progress further investigations and questioning of the whole events around 9-11. So very pertinent and uh, have a look on the UK column for that. Uh, we've also got an interview uh, coming up on Thursday at one o'clock with Cheryl Granger. And uh, I understand she'll be bringing people up to date with her work. And can you add anything uh, for me there, Debbie? I can indeed. She's going to be giving an update on the latest Pfizer analysis, and she's also going to be giving an update on the Situation Room, which is on the front page of the UK Column website. Please go and look at that because it's exclusive uh, for the UK um, and it's updated very regularly. OK, thank you for that. And I'm also going to put up here a little uh, advert for a new edition um, called Walking the Dog. This will be audio. Uh, you will be able to join myself, Walking Poppy, wherever I am. And uh, while we're having our dog walk, I'm going to be talking either about what's around me and we'll keep it quite relaxing and good fun so that you can chill out whilst walking the dog. But I will also, from time to time, be bringing in some of the thoughts in my own head which will be about more serious subjects. So watch out for that. Uh, that will be launched ver very soon. And I think it'll be good fun. Now, where does that take us? Um, I think that brings us back onto you, Debbie, uh, serious subject of cancer. Yes, it is. And um, cancer is a huge subject. So I I'm literally covering it in little bits. So bear with me because there's so much to cover. Um, and especially in the days where we're looking at turbo cancer. So this is a war against cancer. But the king has spoken. He's made a statement. Let's hear how it was reported. We start tonight with some breaking news and the King has just released a statement thanking the public for the support he's received since his cancer diagnosis on Monday. King Charles said the kind thoughts of the public had been the greatest comfort and encouragement. On Thursday, Queen Camilla said Charles was doing extremely well under the circumstances following the start of his treatment. Well, in his statement tonight, the King said, I would like to express my most heartfelt thanks for the many messages of support and good wishes I have received in recent days. As all those who have been affected by cancer will know, such kind thoughts are the greatest comfort and encouragement. It is equally heartening to hear how sharing my own diagnosis has helped promote public understanding and shine a light on the work of all those organisations which support cancer patients and their families across the UK and wider world. My lifelong admiration for their tireless care and dedication is all the greater as a result of my own personal experience. So whilst the King's made his statement, The Guardian released an article um, saying that there had been a surge in UK cancer patients going privately. Um, and uh, horrifying statistics further on in the article, um, you'll see that the proportion of patients in England waiting less than 62 days from an urgent suspected cancer referral or consultant upgrade to their first definitive treatment for cancer is 65.2%. But one in 10 people are being denied treatment within 31 days. And so they're being driven literally to go private. So this is seeing a huge surge in, in cancer, um, cancer questions and cancer tests. But it doesn't take too long. I'm sorry about this, everybody. This is the second time in today's news. Uh, so warning, it doesn't take long to find that Lord Blair 
is involved very heavily in the uh, cancer industrial complex. And um, he's asking why the UK government must act urgently to become a global leader. And please remember that, a global leader in cutting edge cancer treatment. So why? Why must the... Uh, the world acts so quickly and the UK must be a global leader. Well, if we go and look at further into the article and what he says is we're clearly looking at vaccines. So the world is on the cusp of a, a cancer vaccine revolution. Um, don't forget, we have 67 million people in this country, lab rats to the National Health Service, and many of them are being offered cancer tests. But um, if we looked a little bit further again, who is responsible for this? Well, remember Pfizer, BioNTech and the COVID-19 injection? Well, BioNTech have now vowed to provide 10,000 patients with personalized immunization-based treatments, and they want to up this. But let's have a listen to what uh, BioNTech have got planned for the United Kingdom. Now, this new hope for cancer patients tonight as the health secretary has signed a deal to speed up research into treatments. The agreement with pharmaceutical giant BioNTech means patients in England will get early access to trials exploring personalised therapies. Our reporter Leila Hayes joins us in the studio. Leila, good to talk to you. It, it sounds encouraging, doesn't it? And it's, it's all linked to the COVID pandemic. So tell us a bit more about it. Well, during the pandemic, scientists and doctors from all over the world worked together to develop COVID vaccines much faster than normal. And they were also approved faster than normal. Now they want to do the same to help cancer patients. Now, we all remember uh, when Margaret Keenan became the first person in the world to receive the COVID vaccine. That was, of course, the pfizer biontech tech vaccine uh, and Britain has now become the first country in the world to sign up to a partnership with the German company BioNTech which it's hoped will bring us closer to a cancer vaccine. Experts say it will use the same mRNA technology as the Covid vaccine right. but will work in a different way. Um, and I don't know how many times we have said on the UK column how dangerous mRNA injections are. And clearly there is a link or there appears to be a link between turbo cancer and mRNA. But the future of cancer treatment, according to Lord Blair, well, it's vaccines all the way. So it's either going to be individual vaccines, which are going to be using patients' own cells to target cancer, but that's really expensive. But the cheaper version, which will be rolled out in in plentiful supply, I'm sure, is a broad spectrum mRNA. They call it a broad spectrum NRA. And this can be used off the shelf. And again, it's it's a lot cheaper. Um, so how do we make the vision a reality, I wonder? Well, we establish a regime. We get vaccines to market quicker. And um, we're also going to award the MHRA as well uh, £10 million. I think that's probably in the next slide, is it, where we say about the MHRA? No, sorry, have we jumped to the conclusion already? Sorry. Um, so basically, this document is going for cancer vaccines en masse. Tony Blair has a huge cancer vaccine agenda and it's going to all be mRNA. And we're going to see many more manufacturers coming into this. And they, they highlight this in the conclusion. It's all rounded up. Basically, the cancer agenda is a cancer vaccine. And it's not just um, it's not just Tony Blair actually that's got the cancer at uh, cancer at the top of their agenda. It's also the WEF who have got something called first. 
first cancer care. And this is the first stands for fourth industrial revolution for sustainable transformation. Um, but it's not just the WEF who've got a roadmap. Everybody's got a roadmap for cancer. It's big business. And here's the Cancer Research UK roadmap to the future. And you'll see who's the forward written by. It's Sir Christopher Whitty, who's talking about basically testing healthy people, early diagnosis. And if you think about it, early people, uh, early testing was Grail. And that was Bill Gates's uh, company that he founded with Jeff Bezos. Um, and it was the Galeri trial. So all of these cancer tests, if you believe the tests, um, they're coming directly from Bill Gates's original company, Grail. But cancer, cancer doesn't escape behavioral science. And this is what I was so staggered about. And I'm not going to go into it in any depth. I just want to show you how broad cancer behavioral science is. So this is the Wolfson Institute of Population Health. Um, this is at Queen Mary's. Um, if we jump on, we can see it's also on the agenda at University College London, who have their own behavioral science and early diagnosis of cancer group. Um, now, if we look at, um, if we go on one again, and we can see who actually um, is funding this and what they're talking about. And this is a whole conglomeration of uh, King's College, University College and Queen Mary's. And of course, let's not forget, they receive funding from cancer research and cancer research receive funding from big pharma, like companies like um, Pfizer. Uh, running this is somebody called Professor Christian von Wagner, who's the professional, who's the professor of behavioral science. Um, but then let's go on to uh, another behavioral science unit, which is at King's, the Cancer Behavioral Science Unit. And that's run by someone called Professor Jo Waller. Uh, she's a professor in cancer behavioral science. And then if we go on one again from there and we can see what they're doing, the King's Cancer Prevention Group, they're specifically looking at cervical cancer prevention, cervical screening and, oh, surprise, surprise, HPV vaccination. But you might recall that from last week, we looked at some of the statistics. So the House of Commons Library came up and published on 7th of February, the cancer statistics for England. And when we looked at um, the, uh, the, the most common cancers in male and uh, men and women, we could see in women, it, the cervical cancer was right down at the bottom with 2%. So um, that doesn't actually marry up very well, do you think? Uh, they're focusing on cervical cancer and they are throwing an awful lot of money at it. Now, I just want to come back to an article that I wrote that was on the uh, front page of the website for quite a long time. And I have to say that I do refer back to my own article quite a, quite a lot of times because many of the bullet points that I put in with regards to the NHS long-term plan are actually spot on. And I want to take you to a bit that uh, I wrote about warning of what was going to go on with the cancer agenda for children. Um, cancer is a big business for children and they're going to be offered new therapies. Um, they're going to be screened and, and all sorts is going to happen. But worryingly now, they've brought out the Children and Young People's Cancer Task Force. Um, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, why is cancer in children such a big deal at the moment? But it clearly is. And they say that um, cancer is the leading cause of death in children 
aged one to 14. And I just want to remind people of what I said in my article on the NHS long-term plan too, because um, children's palliative care is being doubled from 11 million to 25 million. Now, my question is why? Why? Why are all these children being included in medical research and clinical trials? Clearly, there is a big cancer agenda in the UK, and it's one that I'm going to be spending a lot more time on in the future. Debbie, thank you very much for that very heavy, serious subject, but it's quite incredible that uh, health and cancer now uh, appearing to come under these globalist plans as, as if there's something else going on in the background. It's not just people becoming sick. There's a whole industry being made out of what's happening and a lot more work to be done. But thank you for all your investigations. Now, let's move on to what a lot of our audience uh, uh, talk about and ask about. And this is what can we do to challenge this sort of thing? Uh, what are people doing out of there, out there? We've been talking about people who've been challenging their local authorities. But I'd like to welcome Katie Jo Murphin back with UK Column News. And uh, Katie, you haven't been with us for a long time, but you've been very busy. Welcome and tell us a bit about what you've been up to. Oh, thank you, Brian. It's so lovely to be back on. I've been extremely busy. That's the reason I haven't been able to make any of the shows. Uh, the 2023 was crazy and 2024 is set to be even busier for us at Hope Sussex. And I would love to tell you about what we've got coming up. So I'm super excited. We have four main branches to the Hope Sussex community. Um, these are education and empowerment, food and self-sustainability, health and well-being and community and events um, and the first one education is obviously the main reason that hope was created in the first place and the sessions available at hope by our fantastic independent tutors is growing monthly we still offer core subjects maths english science and gcses can be taken in these subjects we don't necessarily recommend taking them. It's a completely personal choice as to whether you want to take GCSEs. And what I would like to remind people is that it's not essential to take nine GCSEs. It's actually um, unnecessary. And year six SATs, all these things cause a tremendous amount of trauma for children. And put them off of education. It really turns them off from wanting to learn. And so at Hope, we are putting the excitement back into education. Uh, subjects like weird science, where the children learn through exciting experiments, uh, rather than just writing, copying stuff from the whiteboard and, you know, boring lessons. We, we offer them really, really exciting um, experiences. And one of the most recent lessons that has been introduced to Hope is Trivium which, uh, if you didn't know, Trivium is Latin for uh, the place where three roads meet. And they are the three skills that lay the foundations for lifelong learning. They are grammar, dialectic and rhetoric. Um, so grammar, not in the sense of English grammar, it's in the sense of that's it, it's a foundational knowledge of every subject. Every subject has its own grammar and its understanding that first and foremost. Uh, then next comes dialectic logic, which is definitely something they don't teach children in mainstream education. It's critical thinking. 
thinking through ideas and situations and really understanding the truth of something. You know, children naturally ask questions. Why? How? It's, it's a natural curiosity and they must be encouraged to to, to ask those questions, it's it's incredibly important. And then finally, in, in the trivium, we have rhetoric. Uh, and when you think about that, I first of all thought of Machiavellian politicians and brainwashing advertising campaigns and fear-mongering uh, propaganda from the news. But that's because the elite have taken this essential skill and used it in a nefarious way against us. Rhetoric is exactly the skill that we need. Uh, the ones, us, that are speaking the truth, we need this skill to persuade others to see the truth. And being able to debate, present firm evidence and deliver engaging presentations is a vital skill our children are going to need, especially in the world we live in today. So it's incredibly exciting what we have on offer. And I can genuinely say at Hope we are changing people's lives, which absolutely makes my heart sing. Uh, it's not just the children. We actually are changing everybody's life, tutors as well. And we have a wonderful testimonial that I would love to read to you from one of our tutors at Hope. Hope has genuinely changed my life. When I was pushed into taking early retirement, I really felt my life was over. I have always been busy, either working as an actor or a teacher. Hope has given me purpose, teaching and telling stories to the most wonderful and receptive kids. It has offered me friendship, community and great joy, both on a professional level and on a personal one. Everyone accepts me for who I am and I have received more love and appreciation than I ever did in my previous life. Every day there is a delight. We are always laughing, making a mess and allowing our children to be free and happy while also learning, not by putting pressure on them, by sh but by showing them the amazing pleasure of learning new things and thinking for oneself, I could go on and on. So we are flying in terms of education. Um, and next on the pillar, we have uh, food and self-sustainability. Uh, we have two fantastic polytunnels that our wonderful gardening group have been prepping and getting ready for the new growing season. And recently we had a very kind and generous donation that was made specifically for our, our allotment, uh, which we have spent on medicinal herbs, uh, compost, trees, fruit trees, bushes, vines, um, and we're hoping for even more abundance this year than we had last year. Um, we think it's imp really important to teach children what it takes to grow food so they can have respect for farmers and also a gratitude. Um, we feel learning the commitment, the care, and also the health benefits of eating food that has been freshly picked rather than food that has flown halfway across the world is extremely important. Uh, so that's food. Uh, third up, we have health and well-being and the fantastic monthly PHA's low-cost clinic run by Val has been going for over a year now and it's going strong. As I said, it happens every month with a superb range of holistic treatments available, homeopathy, massage, reflexology, aromatherapy and many, many more. Uh, we also have an amazing group of therapists that give low-cost treatments during the week for our parents and we are very excited to be collaborating with the Healing Collective this year on the events Our Ancestors used to celebrate in, in harmony with Mother Nature. Uh, 
I'm incredibly proud of how diverse Hope is. We have many religions among the community and we all appreciate each other's, each other's sacred connections uh, to God. Um, and this year we wanted to be connected with Mother Earth as well as much as possible. So we have put the eight sabbats in our calendar. Uh, to celebrate uh, nature's natural rhythms and uh, seasonal shifts. Inbolk was our first one uh, last month, and it was a beautiful day full of informative talks, delicious food, manifestations through vision boards. Uh, next month on the 16th, we have Ostara, which is going to be a wonderful day for the whole family to enjoy. Talks and workshops for the adults while the children are getting messy and going on Easter egg hunts and, and uh, all sorts of fun. Um, Hope is still run entirely by volunteers, including myself and Sadie, and everything we do goes back into improving the project and keeping it going for the community. And we love a fundraiser. So we thought we'd do something this uh, different this year. And seeing as it's the Fire Festival on the 13th, um, of April, we are going to be doing a fire walk. So if you would like to join us with that, then please do get in touch. It's going to be great fun. The whole day is going to be a fantastic event. There'll be talks and workshops. But in the evening after the fire walk, we will have a Kaylee band and DJ Cheetah. So that's going to be fantastic fun. Um, I've always wanted to hold a health and well-being festival at Hope, but with everything going on, it's always been impossible to organise. So this year we are collaborating with the Healing Collective and putting on a wonderful two-day soulful wellness event. Um, it's jam-packed with everything you need to know about keeping your mind, body and spirit healthy. Um, and on the Saturday night, there is a collaboration between myself, Claire, Crystal and DJ Clip we will be guiding you through meditation, dance, breath and music to ultimately feel free, release any negative energies and connect with your inner self and experience joy and euphoria that, to be honest, I have only ever experienced through dance. So um, that's our health and well-being. Um, empowering our community is important to us. We recently had Chris Coverdale educating us all on the illegalities of paying tax. Um, what this man has sacrificed for decades to try and bring the corrupt government to justice takes unbelievable courage. And I would definitely recommend uh, finding out more about his lawful tax rebellion. Uh, you can find out more at www.probityco.com. Uh, starting next Thursday on the 22nd, uh, we have a sovereign course running for 22 weeks, two hours a week for only £5. And this is run by a wonderful community member, Tony Rose. Uh, we have regular talks happening throughout the year with Hope. Tomorrow we have Danny Rampling and Matt Letissier. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, that event is sold out, uh, but we still have more coming up. Louise May Crayfield, Neil McRae, Lisa Hutchinson, Karen Churchill and Neil McDougall. Uh, um, so do book your tickets and come and watch those. They are going to be fantastic. Monthly bridge, potluck, regular comedy nights, workshops, uprise and shine, summer and Christmas fairs, camp hopes. They are all events taking place this year at Hope and they are going to be fabulous but the big event is our third music festival it's going to be fantastic um 
And we have the one and only Danny Rampling back, which is so exciting. And, and also backed by popular demand, we have the infamous urinals that everyone loved so much the first year. So um, we have more artists to be announced. Um, we are extending our early bird tickets to um, till the end of this month. It's £130 for an early bird ticket for an adult to enjoy this four-day event. So make sure you get your tickets today. Uh, I only have a couple more things to say. Um, I've been recording interviews recently with uh, amazing people uh, that have been integral to the freedom movement. And those podcasts, also live content, comedy nights, they are all available now on our website for you to purchase. They are only £3 a month and you'll get monthly content. Um, and one last thing before I go, I must mention the stunning multi-million pound house winner dream raffle that we are affiliated with. Because this raffle seems too good to be true, but I promise you it is genuine. For £5, you can enter the raffle and win this stunning house, um, along with your stamp duty fees will be covered, legal fees and a £10,000 um, gift to help you with settling in. So, And at the same time, every time you buy a ticket, you will be supporting Hope Sussex community. Katie Joe, thank you very much. I have actually got a, uh, I think we've got a little slide. Oh, I thought we had a slide with um, uh, with some web addresses on there. Seems to, have, let me just see whether I can find that. There we go. If we can pop that one on screen. So if people thank want uh, to come and find you, they can go to one of these addresses. And I, I'm going to say thank you very, very much for giving us that very upbeat run through what you've been doing. Uh, you've done a lot of work, but at the, end of, at the end of the day, it's a relatively small team that has done all the work around uh, hope and uh, what you've been putting together. And it's fascinating to watch the reaction to what you've been talking about in our chat box, because many people are saying, well, this is what the world could be like if we didn't have these bad actors causing us problems in all sorts of different areas. So something to reflect on. And of course, all of us uh, need to be looking after ourselves in one way or another. Uh, whether it's getting out with a dog or it's getting together with other people to combat what is really a pretty heavy agenda being brought in by the globalists. So, Katie Joe, I'm going to say thank you very much for that. I'm also going to skip on a little bit just to uh, get to a couple of um, ending slides, which I think should... Uh, uh, bring a smile to our faces. Let me see whether I can do that. Um, this is one that was sent through to me. It's come from the Telegraph. We've got a picture of a cat, obviously, calling here, puss, to a cat in the street may become a criminal offence. And what is this about? Well, apparently, um, somebody's trying to make it uh, law, as I understand it, that you mustn't go um, soliciting cats and calling a cat to you in order to make a fuss of it. But I think really what's happening is the telegraph is messing around with people's heads, playing cat and mouse with our minds, uh, because this, of course, is a sheer nonsense idea, and it's sheer nonsense to report it as if it was a credible idea, which is what the telegraph is doing. So I'm going to call them out on that one, 
but it did bring a bit of uh, a black humour smile to my face. And uh, finally, a big thank you for Peter to sending this one through. Um, it was headed up for electric car fires, um, but of course, when you open it, it's the alternative way of heating your uh, super smart electric vehicle. And um, yeah, thank you very much for that one. Well, it's been an eventful UK column news. A huge thank you to all our viewers and listeners wherever you are in the world. And I want to say a big thank you to our ladies today for joining me. It's been really wonderful to have three of you on. And uh, all three of the ladies, um, Sandy, Debbie and Katie Joe, will be joining me in a few minutes for extra. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're a signed up member with UK Column, do join us and we'll see you then. To the rest of the audience, thank you very much. And uh, we will see you at one o'clock on Friday. Bye bye.